Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Spencer Cottle. Welcome to the podcast, Spencer. Thank you. This is insane and surreal and all of the above. It is. Whenever someone walks in my home door to do a podcast, I just admire them being so brave to share their story with all of you out there. And it is kind of surreal often, but I tell people only they can tell their story the very best that anybody can. And and that's for you out there also to own your story. Only you can tell your story the way it needs to be told. Uh, we're recording this in the middle of conference. It's an early Sunday morning before the Sunday morning session of conference. And that would be October 3rd. You're listening to this podcast, obviously, obviously long after conference has ended. But tell our listener, Spencer, where you were Saturday night during the evening Saturday night session. I, I sang in conference. Um, I'm in the BYU choirs. So we um, performed a couple hymns last night at the Saturday evening session. Just a cool, cool experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, And my wife and I watched that session. I remember the camera scanning to the BYU choir, and I just thought there's a lot of wonderful women and men at BYU and your gift of music to bring the spirit in that meeting touch both of us. Um, it's kind of interesting, but you know, the, that session of conferences, our listeners may know, was canceled and then added back in. I'm talking about the third session on Saturday, listeners, that started at 6 Utah time, but talk about how the implications of adding that in and how your choir was um, then involved, Spencer. So from what I understand, um, they reinstated the Saturday evening session quite a bit after um, a choir would have been preparing had they known about it. So I think um, the representative said that it takes about four or five months for a conference choir to come together. Um, we had a lot less time than that, but BYU is always up for the job. I'm just glad that they said yes, so I could do it. And you did five numbers, and maybe we'll talk about those numbers. Um, Spencer served a mission in Madagascar. He is 21. He's a BYU student. He's a music composition major. He has written music, performed music, obviously. He's a freshman technically at BYU, mm -hmm. just back from his mission. Mm -hmm. He is gay. He's a Latter-day Saint, obviously. Um, and he's just going to talk about his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint. And our joint prayers, this will be helpful to you, wherever you are in this space. And the things Spencer shares will help you. We'll talk probably most of these podcasts we um, with someone Spencer's age, we talk about pre-mission, um, what it's like to be gay on a mission and then post-mission. So with that, Spencer, take us to life before your mission. Okay. And I, I hope this is okay with you. I just wanted to say kind of right off the bat, um, first of all, just how grateful I am that I can be on the podcast period. Um, this has helped me so much. Um, Sorry. This helped me a ton. I wish I had it before my mission. And that is one of the biggest reasons that um, I just wanted to come on today. I know that you've been begging me for months to come on. Um, so I'm glad that I could. <laughs> I'm kidding. I asked him to. <laughs> I, I asked him to. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say is just that um, there's a good chance that a lot of people listening to this um, especially ones that are close to me. This is the first they're hearing of me being gay, or at least the first that they're hearing of me talking about it. Um, I just wanted to say that if, if I haven't had a chance to talk to you in person, it's not because I want you to know any less. It's not because I love you any less. 
It's just that these things are hard to talk about. And I'm really grateful that I just have this platform to be able to um, kind of address everyone at once. And I'm always happy to talk um, as much or as little as you want to about it. So we're glad to have you here, Spencer. Really looking yeah. forward to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So what was it that you wanted Tell me to Tell us, to? take us back to, you grew up in Virginia, the yeah. Williamsburg mm-hmm. area. That's a beautiful area. My wife and I love the trees this time of year, that beauty of your state. But talk to us about being gay and pre-mission. I, I had the perfect childhood. I, <laughs> I hear a lot of angsty stories that I can definitely sympathize for, but maybe not empathize for. I, um, my parents will swear up and down that they're not, but they're actually perfect. And I think, I think my growing up was too, I was a happy kid. Um, still I am. Um, and honestly, it's always hard for me to, to answer when exactly I knew that I was gay. I, I don't know for sure. I think I, I started to know, um, just pretty much about when most little boys decide that they're like girls. It was just a part of growing up for me. And honestly, a part that I thought everyone was experiencing. I had no idea that I was different. I really thought that I was the same as everyone else. Um, but as you know, I think for everyone and probably especially within the church, um, knowing that you're gay and admitting to yourself that you're gay are two hugely different things. So I knew that I was gay as early as probably 11 or 12. Um, admitting it is an almost decade long path that happened after that and not something really that I came to terms with until um, probably like 2018. So that's a good six or seven years in between. I had a whole youth program to go through before I could really be comfortable looking at myself in the mirror and admitting it. So 20, tell us what 2018 is. Are you on your mission or getting ready for your mission? What kind of caused you to be more aware and sort of own this part about you? And, and a follow-up question, did you talk to anybody pre-mission about being gay? Yeah. So I, um, I kind of lived in just this spot, at least mentally, where I, I didn't care that I was gay because I wasn't supposed to be acting on those feelings regardless. I dated a lot in high school. I loved it. I had a knack for picking really wonderful girls that are still some of my best friends today. Um, but I, I just wasn't worried about it because dating to me wasn't anything more than going to the movies and having good conversations with your best friend. Um, that doesn't last for super long. I remember it was senior year um, of high school when I started to realize that this is going to be a problem. And it was right as I was about to put in my my papers for my mission. Um, I worried about whether I was worthy to go. I worried about whether it was going to be a problem or not. 2018 about is the time where I sort of started having to um, reconcile my feelings and my beliefs for the first time. Um, like we talked about, of course, I, I had been dating been dating girls. I was really on board with the whole church thing and I was planning on serving a mission. So 2018, early 2018, especially is when I'm putting in my papers, all that kind of stuff. And I was, I was worried about being worthy. I was worried if being gay was going to, um, kind of like throw a kink in my plans, um, for the first time ever. And it was really hard to deal with, but I had really great priesthood leaders. Um, I think it was new year's Eve of 2017 that I looked in the mirror in a very like cliche cinematic way. And 
admitted to myself that this was an issue and something that I needed to talk to someone about. And it was my, my new year's resolution that year to tell someone. And for me, um, the most logical person to tell that to was my bishop, just because he was my, my priesthood leader. And honestly, at the time, I thought I would take it to the grave other than him. Um, I would have rather, <laughs> they will, they'll be so sad to hear me hear this, say this, but like, I, w- I would have rather died than tell my parents, not because they weren't loving or because they wouldn't have been accepting just because I was so humiliated. Um, and <sighs> yeah. It's just, it's just hard to say. So I did, I ended up telling my Bishop best decision I've ever made in my entire life. He, he didn't have any answers for me. I wanted them to, and he didn't. Um, and looking back, um, I understand why he didn't, there's not a lot of good answers for us. There's not a, a really clear path forward that doesn't come with massive sacrifice. So he did in my mind, what was the best thing he could have done, which is just express love and understanding. And in my case, reassurance that a mission was still a possibility because that's what something that I was really worried about. I haven't talked to him about this at all. The only reason I feel comfortable discussing our conversation is just because I have nothing but good things to say about it. So, um, he, his one piece of his advice that he did leave me with was that I should tell my parents which I think I laughed maybe audibly about. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. There's no, there's no way. I think I was like, that's, that's, that's cute, Bishop. That's not my path. I don't think I was thinking very critically in that moment, but it scared me to death. Um, so I put in my papers. I got my call. I served in Madagascar, Madagascar and Tananarivo mission. Um, Malagasy speaking, one of my favorite places on earth. I think the best day of my life, even now, has been the day I got my mission call. So exciting. I was like, I think I was a little bit paranoid that I had served stateside, not because I didn't want to, but because I had totally been selling my mission as like this really cool college alternative to all of my friends. And I'd been like, oh, I could go here or here or here. And I was just scared that I would disappoint in that category. I think God had a sense of humor when he ended up sending me to Madagascar just because <laughs> I think that's as exotic as it gets in some places. So tell our listeners where geographically Madagascar is. It's right off the Southeast coast of Africa. So church wise, it's in the Southeast area. Um, we have the same leaders as like South Africa or Mozambique, really beautiful place, super unique. Unlike anything really I'd ever experienced, of course, as an American, I, I honestly think, and this is maybe get, I'm kind of nerding out here. (laughs) Um, it feels to me as if like South Africa and India, like had a baby and then France raised it. I, (laughs) that's cool. Beautiful place. So, and your mission is that whole entire Island of Madagascar. Yeah. Is there multiple is just one mission on that whole island. Is just that right? one, one mission on the whole island. And then there's actually two islands off um, Madagascar's east coast that are included. It's Reunion and Mauritius, and they're part of us as well. Wow. So We've had a few in our neighborhood go to Madagascar before you, but what a wonderful place to serve. Thanks mm-hmm. for your service. It's a big deal to serve a mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I just would feel comfortable saying, Spencer's a lot of people that are closer to Christ and have hope in their life because of your work. Well, thank you for what you've done. 
Um, did you come out to anybody else then pre-mission except your bishop? I did. I ended up telling my parents, which I would never have believed I was going to, um, had you told me in January of that year. Um, but I did. I could I could tell you the hour-long version of the story where I come out to my parents. I think I'm going to substitute it with um, the abbreviated version. I'll just say that God definitely had his hand in it and really wanted me to tell my parents. And I was stubborn and <laughs> he wasn't having that. So um, I don't know, maybe that's just a conversation for another time, but I did. I, I ended up coming out to my parents um, about a week after I was endowed. I was endowed in the Logan Temple here in Utah because DC was under construction and I have quite a bit of family out here. Um, so I did. I told them it was the hardest couple of weeks, honestly, I think of all of our lives, my mom, my dad, me included. Actually, I can't even say that. So many harder things have happened. Um, but it was definitely a hard time for us. Um, they reacted with love and love and more love, which I think is what they, <laughs> the best thing they could have done. But also, and I, this is a reason that I have a lot of um, understanding for people that coming out is hard for. It's a mourning process as well. I think um, my mom and my dad and I were all mourning um, what could have been just this life of sort of like normalcy within the church. Um, it, feel, it, it felt sort of like a death of the family, like it's the death of my future wife. It's the death of my future grandkids. It's I'm the oldest of five. Um, so this, I don't know. It just kind of throw. it's like a hiccup in the plan. Like the oldest kid isn't supposed to be the one that's gay. That's the youngest, right? I, I just, this was so contrary to what we thought my life was going to end up being. And that's why it was so hard. Um, but they did, they, they responded with love and understanding and just genuine concern. I think the authenticity behind it is what made it so meaningful. Um, we had so many late night discussions and discussions on the way to work and on the way back from work and we talked about it so much and I needed that. I'm a talker. <laughs> so, um, anyway, yeah. And that, that was about a month, I think, before I left for my mission. It's a really good timing. <laughs> and I say that sarcastically, of course. What caused you to finally come out? Was there a specific event or just you felt you needed to do this before you left? Um, honestly, and this is you kind of talking to other people, wondering if they should come out pre-mission. Yeah. Um, I didn't come out because my bishop told me to. I came out because I was spiraling um, spiritually and otherwise. I um, went through a pretty massive faith crisis there. Um, I just, I don't really even know how to put it into words just because I don't remember it um, perfectly, but I, I just needed help. It was a, it was a call for help. It wasn't a, Hey mom and dad, let me just let me let you know about this and then jump off to Madagascar. It was a, Oh my gosh, I'm leaving in 30 days. I'm panicking here. Help me out. And they were able to offer me enough, um, comfort that I didn't feel like I was, um, spiraling after that. Um, still hard though. Do you think coming out to your parents significantly helped you on your mission, just that they were sort of in your circle and in your reality, and this was not something then that they didn't know about, and it would be harder to come out in Madagascar? 
and they could kind of walk this road with you during your mission? My relationship with my parents doubled in quality, I think, after I came out. Um, and we had a pretty perfect relationship before then, too. So the fact that it could increase in quality um, was surprising to me, but it was noticeable. I could be honest with them. I felt like I was lying a lot of the time before. Um, not really, but just, there's, there's just like piece of dishonesty that I couldn't shake. Yes. And a thousand ways that helped me. And honestly, I think I would have come home early had I not come out to them beforehand. So I'm so grateful for that. And to my Bishop for suggesting that in the first place. That's a pretty powerful segment. It's also pretty insightful to um, understand how your parents are feeling. I'm recognizing this path that you and their parents had hoped for you is not a path that may, it's a path that may not happen. Mm. And we can talk more about your future. Um, but I, you have enough empathy and grace and to see things from other people's perspective that I think is remarkable. Thank you. And you're mourning that, obviously. It's your future that you've hoped for to be married to a woman. And we'll talk more about that. But their future for you. And I think it's, I think parents do go through a mourning process. And I think that's just part of the stages of grief to accept that you have an LGBTQ child and your your dreams for that child may change. Hmm. And um, parents, I think if you feel those feelings, I think Spencer recognizes that those are real and valid. And one of the other things, some come out to their parents and then they never talk about it again. They sort of, it sort of happens and no one knows what to say next. But it seems like one of the things in your family is this just wasn't a one-time conversation. This was led to, and when you describe your relationship with your parents, it's really just to me, just a remarkable family story because the connection, the vulnerability, the honesty, the depth of the discussions just seems like they escalated in a very healthy and meaningful way. Oh, totally. 100%. I agree with all of that. I One of my biggest fears with coming on the podcast is misre misrepresenting people or misconstruing how their reactions were. I, I just have to say here, my, my parents will tell you that they had bad reactions. I don't remember that way at all. They had perfect reactions in my book. It's exactly what I needed to hear at exactly the right time. Nothing more or less would have been sufficient, I think. Um, and so I, I think they beat themselves up over it just because we weren't immediately able to say, yeah, Spencer, go get married to a guy. That's not what it was at all. And that's also not what I needed as a preparing missionary. So I, mom, dad, you did a good job. <laughs> Talk more to parents of what they can do to help when a kid comes out. Just realize, I think, oh man, I don't know here. Just put yourself in their shoes for a second. No one comes out without having worried and labored over it for months and months and months and years, probably. I say that with a lot of certainty. I know there's exceptions to that, um, but especially in the Mormon space, especially for someone that's preparing for a mission, they've thought about this a lot. You're not going to tell them something that they haven't already considered. And I promise you, they know the law of chastity. They're coming to you for help. And usually that help takes the form of a hug. I think it's good. It's not complicated either. I love that. Talk about Madagascar. Um, anything you want to share about being gay as a missionary? Did that complicate things, not complicate things, make you a better missionary? Just share anything you want to share. I think I was your average run-of-the-mill missionary. <laughs> 
I, I loved Madagascar to death and I'm feeling really sensitive about it now because we had a mission reunion on Friday. It's been a crazy weekend for me. <laughs> um, we did, we had, we had a mission reunion. I got to see a lot of my old companions, um, a lot of old friends from the mission. I loved it to death and it was the hardest two years of my life for sure. Or 18 months. Um, but I, <laughs> I loved it. I love Malagasy. I love the language. I love the island. Um, a lot of my more formative uh, months on my mission actually happened before I got to Madagascar. I visa waited. Um, and that's where a lot of, uh, that was, that was really hard for me. I think that's hands down the hardest six weeks of my life was while I was waiting to go to Madagascar. And I don't know if this is an owl thing or maybe a later thing, but I just had a lot of experiences that, um, made, made it a made it a little extra hard. I think, um, I, I got to the place where I was visa waiting stateside, of course. Um, and just was in not a good place spiritually. I thought that I had recovered because the MTC was a wonderful experience for me. I loved it. I ate it up and suddenly I wasn't there anymore. And I was having to face all the same questions that I was having just weeks before with my parents. And I, it's, and an apartment with two guys that I hardly knew wasn't a super wonderful environment to do that in. Um, we had a copy of the miracle of forgiveness in our apartment, um, which I just poured over. Um, and man, we probably, I probably won't talk a lot about what it says here just cause I don't know if this is the best context to, but it's really harmful. Um, really, really damaging. Um, there's a good chance if you're a upward stalwart Latter-day Saint family that there's a copy on your shelf. And the only reason I mention this is just cause I don't think that people realize it, but, um, there's a whole chapter called the crime against nature. That's about, um, gay people and just honestly, like how much of an embarrassment they are before God. I, in preparation for this podcast, I reread it for the first time since I'd been on my mission and just made a list of all of the negative adjectives that are used to describe gay members of the church or gay people in general. I stopped like halfway through page two and it's because I reached the bottom of the page nearly. It's just kind of an, honestly, it's shocking um, to read now. I, and again, Richard, the only reason that I do bring that up is just because I think a lot of us still have it on our bookshelves. And I would just challenge you to go and read chapter six and then do with it what you will. <laughs> like it was on, it was on our bookshelf growing up. This is a prophet that we know and love. Um, I don't, oh, man, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what I want to say about that other than what I already have. Um, but it, it led to a lot of really not good thinking for me. There, there's a passage that says um, that homosexuality is something that you can change on your own. And you shouldn't say that you, you've exhausted every effort until your, your knuckles are bloody, essentially is what he says. And I'm sitting here reading this in an apartment where I'm not having a really good time anyway, thinking, what on earth am I doing or not doing that is making me still this way. Not a single feeling I've had has subsided and I feel like I've done everything right. Um, just a really, really hard space to be in. I ended up talking to my stateside mission president um, who I, I have to, 
I, I want to extend as much grace here as I can just because I think he did the best he could. But what he had to- essentially told me is that I'll grow out of it and not to worry about it. Now, that wasn't hugely destructive for me because actually it gave me a little bit of hope. It gave me some hope that I would one day not deal with this, but it's also just a huge mistruth. And that's just a pretty way of saying a lie. It's just a lie. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, so anyway, um, <laughs> just a comment, Spencer, this mm-hmm. is a, I think it's fine for you to be honest about that book and your feelings about that book. I, I th- think we need to be confident enough about our restored church to look inward and recognize where we need to do better. Um, when we know better, we do better. And that chapter was written in a time in our church where I don't think we separated orientation and behavior. Just identifying as gay was uh, was a sin. I think that's sort of what's inferred there. And mm-hmm. certainly to your point that even if there was a separation at that point in our church, that you could do something to undo this. That was, listeners, one of my biggest aha moments in this space was that a feeling that you know, LGBTQ people come as they're meant to become. And to earth, I mean, and they're not a mistake and something didn't go wrong. There isn't something that we can undo to correct someone's sexual orientation. And so to put that all on you, to bloody your fingers, or your hands, or to overserve to me, we need to move on from that thinking because it just adds to your burden. And it really shifts the responsibility to us as members of the church to Instead of it's your job to be straight and fit in, it's our job to create a feeling of belonging. Mm. And part of that belonging, listeners, is being willing to sit with people in their pain and the difficult experiences they've had. You haven't had many with your local leaders pre-mission. Your your parents have been terrific, but reading a book like that brought pain. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you, I think we, it's okay to talk about that. You're really respectful, Spencer. I think you're wanting to do the right thing, but. I think your invitation to make sure, you know, there's parts of that book I love. Hmm. Um, I, for the YSAs in my bishop assignment, I naturally gave him that book because that's what we always did. But after a while, you, the YSAs, pointed out a few things, and I started to give him Tad Callister's Infinite Atonement chapter, hmm. just a single chapter on the beautiful benefits. I think it's called The Blessings of Repentance. It's a terrific chapter. So I think it's fine you shared that, and it just helps us to know better. When we do better, we know better. Can I make one more comment there? I, I love that, and I the the Brother Callister book is a wonderful alternative. Um, but just about the the bloody knuckles comment, I and I this is maybe to parents as well. If your kid is gay and they're working to stay in the church, their knuckles are already bloody, at least spiritually speaking. I think I spent every single, actually, I know, I don't know. I said, I think I spent every single fast Sunday. I can remember back until I was probably 13 or 14 fasting that I would be straight and every single nightly prayer. I don't know what the math is there. 365 times what? Six or seven. That's a lot of prayers begging to be straight. Um, I don't have anything else to say other than that, but like (laughs) powerful, we're, we're trying, we're trying powerful. Um, I'm glad you got your visa waiver and I'm glad you met it to Madagascar. That sounds like you thrived. And as our listeners picked up, um, Spencer served 18 months. Tell our listeners why. Uh, COVID-19. We're all sick of hearing about it, aren't we? I, 
<laughs> every time I hear about it in a concert or any, I think I just roll my eyes a little bit. It's just, it's become such a huge part of our lives. Um, I, I was up, out about 18 months. Um, I was serving as zone leader with my actual current roommate. Um, we're roommates now just having the best time. I loved it. I, other than that six weeks, the rest of my mission was pretty smooth sailing. Um, but we were, we were evacuated because of, because of COVID-19. I think we got the church sent charter planes. Um, we got out of the Malagasy airport about six or seven hours before they shut it down. I mean, didn't allow for any other travel. So, um, that's, that's why my mission was cut short. I was homesick times 10. So it would be a lie to tell you anything other than I was definitely relieved. Um, but I did fly home. We, we had like a sort of unconventional route just because of shutting down airports and the race against time. Um, we flew over the Seychelles islands and then into Dubai. And I remember landing in Dubai, realizing that I was still gay. Um, realizing that I just, it, my efforts hadn't worked like again and wondering what next steps I would take to make sure, um, that I, that I don't mess up. I hope I'm not taking too much time with this. I know that this is a time sensitive thing, but, um, I, again, like I said, I was really homesick on my mission just because I have an awesome family, not because I have any particular proneness to homesickness. Um, but I was apart from them for the first time ever. And I remember sitting in a house in a place called Itosi as a trainee, realizing that this is what my eternity was going to feel like if I ever gave into any of these feelings that I was having and sitting there thinking, is this what my heaven will be like if I decide that the church isn't for me? And of course, in that like hyper emotional space, it was really easy for me to say, no, I'm going to power through this. And I, I really treated the rest of my mission, despite the fact that it was pretty awesome. I treated the rest of my mission as a chance for me to charge my spiritual batteries enough that I could go until I was 75 without having someone to love. Um, I knew it was going to be hard. And this was the gift God had given me, at least in my mind, to prepare for that hardness. You're a good communicator, Spencer. Just keep talking. You're now on, you're on your way home from Dubai, eventually to Virginia. But talk to us yeah. about um, anything you want to talk about coming home or getting to BYU, your feelings now, what it's like to be gay at BYU. Just keep talking. So that was that was still my goal as I was flying home. I was like, okay, Spencer, now's the chance. Like you had 18 months. You thought it was going to be a little bit longer, but he gave you 18 months to prepare. Did you do a good enough job. Um, and I, I think I thought I did. <laughs> Missionaries are in a different headspace. It's just because spiritual stuff is the only thing on their mind. And I was guilty of that. Um, but I, I got home and life was good. I'm right back to my perfect life in Williamsburg, Virginia. I say that with a smile just because I actually low key, <laughs> I actually feel that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm so blessed all the time. And every time I call my parents, I'm like, my life is just so good. I really do feel that way. So I, I made a return to that. I, I lived in Williamsburg. I, I had a chance to save money over the summer to prepare for college. I hadn't gotten into BYU at that point, but my fingers were crossed and I ended up getting in. Um, but all, all while, while all of that good stuff is happening, I was also, um, 
just faced with kind of the facts again, life was real again. And I was having to make these decisions this time in a really, um, I don't know, like tangible way. Marriage wasn't just something down the road. Eventually it's the next step. It's what I'm supposed to be preparing for. It's what my mission president is talking to me about. It's what, um, everyone has on their mind. And I'm sitting here realizing just how grim the future looks as a totally celibate member of the church, not in a relationship. I I failed to mention this earlier, but one of um, the most influential moments I think in my life was a, a time right after I came out to my dad, maybe a week later, he sat me down and in just like a really pragmatic way, just an attempt to, to help me. I don't think he knew where he was going with it before he started, but he sat down with a paper and a pencil. He's like, let's, let's map this out, Spencer. Let's, let's look at your options here. Like surely there's a good way to do this. And we just had this really honest, intimate conversation there. And he, he writes down like number one, okay, you, you could get married to a girl. Um, you could, you could live the life that the church wants you to live. And we just had a really honest conversation there. I need to be careful um, because I know of people that are in mixed orientation marriages that have made it work and have beautiful children and would never regret that decision in a million years. But for me, that just is not a possibility, period. I feel like I hurt girls' feelings before my mission. I feel like I was reckless emotionally in some ways. It's just not a possibility for me. I can't imagine putting that, putting myself or someone else through that. So, okay, then option number two. My dad, <laughs> a little two with a circle around it. Uh, wow, okay, Spencer, what's what's option number two? Um, I guess option number two is just stay celibate in the church. Just go your whole life without um, without loving anyone, like avoiding that proactively. And I, I honestly, I think I thought I had to defend myself. I had a speech in my head. I was like, dad, I know you want me to do this, but here's why I'm not going to do it. And it's for this reason and this reason and this reason. He didn't even let me think of it. He's like, and clearly that's not an option. Like he wouldn't even allow me to, to ponder on that. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because that gave me, that gave me room to, I don't know, just give my, give myself a little grace there. I also think that that's not what God wants for me. And I, I can't tell you why other than it's just a gut feeling. I don't think he expects anyone to do that. And I don't feel like I can be the best disciple of Jesus Christ as a single man. I think I need someone there with me. God knows I need some help. Um, the third option is marrying a guy, which just isn't something that I could really consider as a future missionary. Um, I don't remember why I'm, why I'm sharing this other than that was such a moment where I realized, oh my gosh, there's not a good path. None of these three are without sacrifice. Um, so I'm, I'm home for my mission. I'm having to reface that again. Please, please, please. I love your dad had that conversation with you. Mm. Um, I just think there's a bunch of messages that send as I'm walking with you. I want to be realistic of pragmatic is a great way of your options. I want to be a partner with you as your father, um, as you're considering your future. And I'm, and I'm, we're just talking about this as a father, son and all, and the whole com and all options are, we're talking about. I don't think it's more likely for you to marry a man because your dad's, 
talking about that pragmatically, that that's a potential path for you. I think it's sent, this is me talking just to other parents. I think it just helps you, your kids know you're safe and you can talk to them because you want to be able to have a communication where your kids are talking to your parents, Mm -hmm. especially in this space. They need parents in their lives that are just kind of walking with them and having the conversations their kids want to have that are needed conversations. So I love this part of your story, your parents. And I love even though, I love that that conversation was put into your mind before your mission, because I think it just helped you, you know, not have to address it, but it was just sort of there, the reality of your situation while you're in Madagascar. So now you're back. Yeah. um, And the other thing that they did really well was they made it a point um, even during my mission, sometimes during those Skype calls, they made it a point to um, let me know that they loved me and supported me regardless of what my decision was. That was never a question, even from within like seven days of me having coming out, come out to them. I knew that I could do whatever I wanted and it would never um, bring into question the love of my parents for me. That was never even an option. Um, this this is kind of post-mission and during mission, but I relied pretty heavily on the Mormon and gay website. That was like my peace and comfort. I had all of these videos of people that were doing it and staying worthy and were temple recommend holding members. Um, that was a big thing for me before my mission. Um, and I got home and kind of went to there as like a lifeline and was shocked to see either that I don't remember exactly either it didn't exist anymore or it had changed so dramatically that it was unrecognizable. And a lot of the videos of the people that were telling us, Oh wow, I don't want to make it seem like they were being deceptive. They weren't, I have a lot of admiration for them. Um, but a lot of them had taken down their videos I think it was maybe seven or eight before I could be lying about that in my head. It was, and I get home and it's maybe three or four. And only one of them is someone that's actually gay in the way I am. Um, and even that's a stretch. And I'm sitting here thinking, Oh my gosh, I was basing my life off of this. Like that video of that girl specifically was what was giving me hope. And it's gone now. And she's married to a girl and they're happy that was another just really big moment of what am I doing? Am I going to be the same way? If the church asked me to make a video, would I make one? Would I take it down in five years and 10 and 15? That's kind of like what's going on in my head at this point. I have to confess that I'm a pretty big romantic. (laughs) I'm surrounded by realists. I'm just not one. So, and I I say this kind of in a lighthearted way, but spiritual stuff aside, I wasn't willing to like give up that romantic, all of that romantic stuff and put it on an altar. It's just not something I was willing um, to sacrifice. So anyway, here I am with my, my, my post-mission testimony, reconciling it to the real world and failing pretty miserably. Um, and honestly, this, that's kind of the transition into like where I am now. I had a, I had a pretty huge faith transition. I like faith transition better than faith crisis. Um, cause it wasn't a sad thing for me. It's actually the happiest I've ever been was when I got home and began to look at my faith in a different way and just kind of pick up the pieces and look at where my testimony was and decide what was good for me 
and what wasn't good for me. And maybe even more importantly, what was actually true and what I was being told was true. Um, I know it's not the same for everyone, but for me, I found that in a lot of cases, those were very different things. Um, I had a really cool experience um, where I realized I could tell you where it is. This is so dramatic. It's another really cinematic moment for Spencer. <laughs> I think that's kind of how my mind works, but I was standing in a field um, in my favorite weather in the world, a thunderstorm rolling in. Oh man, I'm going to regret saying this. <laughs> this is a little bit cringy. It's not actually, I love this experience. Um, just having like an internal prayer going on, an internal dialogue with heavenly father and realizing um that I would feel so comfortable and totally okay standing before Christ and my heavenly father holding a man's hand. I'd never thought of that before. It was always this like shameful part of me. It was something I was embarrassed of. I couldn't shake the feeling that I would just want to be as far away from that person or Jesus or heavenly father, whichever, whichever was more convenient. Um, and here I am sitting here thinking, having this spiritual impression, Hey, it's okay. This is okay. And that's, that's in direct um, conflict with what the church teaches. It just is. There's no, there's no way of getting away, like getting around that. I don't have a fancy thing I could say or a poem I could recite that makes that hurt any less, but it is. And this church that I love here is teaching me um, in this moment. I'm not even speaking like in a now sense, but teaching me, um, something totally different than the personal revelation that I'm receiving. And I, I hope you comment on a little bit on it. I, I love how you think of personal revelation and the honor that you give to it. Um, and I, I've been monologuing for a while now, but that was, that was such an important moment. So, um, you're very articulate, Spencer. You're very good at communicating. And yeah. I just, yeah, listeners, if you're a frequent listener, you, I mean, Spencer's sort of set up the paradox of, his life, um, the reality of the church's um, teachings and directions from the members of the church and the personal revelation that Spencer's receiving. And I don't have an easy way to reconcile that because I have a testimony of the church and, and have a testimony of personal revelation. <laughs> so I just honor, in particular, the personal revelation LGBTQ Latter-day Saints receive even if it's different than the general revelation of the church. And I don't try to reconcile it. I just say, I'll walk with you, Spencer, in the personal revelation you're receiving. I won't invite you to receive the kind of personal revelation. I'll always invite you. I mean, I, I guess I'll always invite you to stay in the church, but if you feel um, your path is different or you're receiving different personal revelation, Listeners, I won't go then give Spencer a spiritual checklist of things to do to get the personal revelation I think he should receive <laughs> or the church is generally giving. I'll just honor Spencer's personal revelation and I'll just say, I'll walk with you. Um, I'll support you and what you feel is right for you. And I won't even do that as out of an agenda that somehow my love for Spencer will bring him back to the general per revelation of the church. I'll just love Spencer because he deserved to be loved. And I'll just walk with Spencer as he's making his best way forward. I love that you're keeping God and the Savior in this. I hope listeners pick that up, that that revelation you received was very much um, a spiritual experience. And um, that's one of the 
the key things I invite all listeners to do, especially LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, is that relationship that often you have intact with your heavenly parents and the Savior is so important to you as you're making a way forward. Mm-hmm. Even if the church relationship becomes complex and unsustainable in your life, take your relationship with your heavenly parents and the Savior with you mm. as you make your way forward. So that's kind of how I respond. Are you okay with all that? I'm so okay with it. I'm, I love it to death. And that sounds so similar to things that I've heard you say in the past. And honestly, I think it's just what we need more of. I love that. I love the nuance there. I know it's uncomfy, but I think it's what we need in order to love people in the way I think Christ would, honestly. Um, honestly, this point in the story is where I stop having answers. <laughs> I, I feel like up until this point, I can control the story pretty well. Um, now is kind of where I am right now. Now, that, that experience was more than a year ago, um, but things really haven't changed that much for me. Um, I ended up going to BYU. I was roommates with my mission companion that I was with as we were evacuated for COVID. Um, Some of my best friends ever. Um, And I spent probably another year just working up the courage and making sure that I was okay with Heavenly Father to start coming out. Um, It was important to me that people knew in the right order as well. probably I treated it as if it was more important than it actually was. I don't, I don't know that people would care so much, but in my head I was like, okay, this person needs to know. And then this person needs to know. And then this person needs to know. Um, so I, so I did, I, I, I have recently started coming out to people, um, my siblings, a few close cousins and grandparents and everyone. Um, and I have had so many positive experiences with it. I, honestly, I haven't had any negative experiences yet. I know they're coming. They're bound to. I'm going to live for a couple more decades. I know it's going to happen, but I have been so overwhelmed just with um, spiritual confirmation that this is the right path. I would say that the confirmations that I've, I've received recently about coming out and how that's heavenly, what heavenly father wants me to do have far superseded any impression that I got to go on a mission any impression I ever got about the restoration being true. That's not to to minimize those, just to emphasize how confident I am that this is what God wants me to do. Um, and if nothing else, it allows me to be more honest with people. Talk about your roommates. I assume you got a bunch of straight roommates. Maybe, you know, uh, talk about um, your roommates and how they're responding. Even your missionary companion, how he is responding. Yeah, so I... Um, I also didn't run this past them. So <laughs> another reason I'm okay talking about it is just because they did the the exact right thing as well. Um, ah, how do I want to tell the story? It's actually not much of a story. I, I just told them that I was gay um, about, I think it was a couple weeks into us coming into our second semester of rooming together. We're all really, really good friends. We get along really, really well. Um, but guys talk about girls a lot especially college guys. (laughs) And I never did. And I was always paranoid. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to know. And obviously there's some complications that come with um, the roommate situation more than there is just like Joe down the street, you know, like I I understand and I honor the complications there. And frankly, I would have been okay with any response that they had. 
I understand why that makes people, some people uncomfortable. Um, I'm just grateful that they didn't feel that way. Um, I had a chance to build relationships with all of them. One of them in particular, because he was my companion. They knew me. They knew that we were friends. They knew that I wasn't going off the deep end or I was going to become some weird, unrecognizable Spencer. I have felt blessed to be able to be myself the whole time. It's not like now that I'm out, I can finally start being Spencer. It's not like that at all. I've been, I've been this way the whole time. Now you just understand why. Um, they had perfect reactions. I, they had made it a safe place even before I came out. And I tend to think it's because they suspected something. They'll never tell you that. They will never tell you that. But I think it's because they did. If they're listening, I hope they just know just how grateful I am for them and that I can be myself around them and they're okay with that. That's huge for me. I was scared to death and they've taken every fear and just kind of smashed it. So. I love that. And I couldn't do that. What your roommates are doing back when I was a BYU student, we didn't have the tools to do that. What we were taught was different. So this, this makes me happy because you need people that love you. And you need a, a circle around you to support you. Talk about what they did, because if there's um, roommates listening that want to be a safe place so that if they do have a gay roommate or a trans roommate, that that roommate will feel comfortable. What, they, what can roommates do pre-coming out just to create a feeling that this is a safe place for everybody? I would say just make sure they know how you feel about it. Or if you're not even comfortable with that, make sure they know that you're working to understand it better. And I, I know that's, um, that was kind of vague, but I, like one thing that my roommates did a really good job of is I think literally we had a conversation last semester that was like, Hey, if any of you are gay, um, just know that that's, that's cool with us. And I, I would be okay with that. I wasn't ready to come out to them in that moment, but it made it okay for me and it paved the way for me to be able to be honest with them. Now, there's not a chance on earth that any of them are anything other than straight. And I only know that because of our conversations. Um, so I know in some ways that was directed to me. Again, they'll swear up and down that it wasn't, but I know it was. That's one way. Just be kind. People have trust in their relationships. I don't have anything special to say here other than your kindness will show through. And it takes time. Talk about, are you talking to your roommates about this subject like you did your parents? You came out and your parents kept the conversation going. Is your room, Do your roommates talk about this, you being gay and what that's like and want to hear your perspective? Or is this not talked about? And if it is talked about, are you glad they're talking about it? We, we do talk about it sometimes. We're... <laughs> I hope they're okay with all of this. I'm talking a little bit more about, I'm bragging more about them than I, I think I anticipated. Um, we do talk about it quite a bit, but honestly, I think the beauty of it is that it's not the centerpiece conversation 24 seven. I, and this is just me personally. I know everyone has different needs, but what I needed was a return to normalcy and just it to be treated normally. Um, I'm the same Spencer that they knew before. And so our conversations are the same conversations we were having before too. We get to talk about it and we get to um, commiserate or <laughs> I, I don't know the best way to say that, but in an even more beautiful sense, it hasn't changed everything. It hasn't changed anything rather. It's good. 
It's really good advice. It's helpful for you to speak for what's helpful for you because I sense there's a lot of people wanting to do the right thing. Mm. And there's a lot of people in your circle that are doing the right thing. Um, I'd love you to talk about your future. You've kind of hinted your what your future. I'd love you to talk about your relationship with the church. Anything you want to talk about at this point. Okay. I I love the church. I grew up in it. I know the songs we sing. <laughs> I've submitted songs to the hymn book that will be coming out. Not that I anticipate getting in. I'm just I just say that to comment on just how much I do really love the church. I loved going to church as a kid. I never dreaded it. I, this is a place where I feel home and yet it's not a place I can see myself having a home in, in the near future. Um, I do, I anticipate marrying a guy. I, I can't say anything with certainty, no more than I think anyone can. Um, but I do. And the reason I, I feel that way is because, um, aside from the fact that it's what my being and my soul wants it's also where i feel i'll make the the biggest difference i remember having a conversation with my mom and i haven't thought about this through so i know i'm going to stumble over this a lot but i remember telling her mom if i choose to be celibate in the church for the rest of my life my life will be about being gay it's, it'll be all I think about. It'll be on my mind every single sacrament meeting. I'll be hoping every general conference that we talk about it more than we do. If I marry a guy, I get to follow Jesus and have it not be about that. I know that's kind of complicated, but I'm sick of making my life about this. This is just part of me. It's not my whole being. I really love the prospect of being able to be in a monogamous, happy, consensual constructive relationship and also following Christ at the same time without having that be the focal point. I can't speak for everyone, but I know for certain that that's where God wants me. And that's where I'll be able to speak to him um, with the least obstructions. It's pretty powerful, Spencer. You have a way with words. I hope you recognize that. Thank you. And putting complex thoughts into really meaningful words that illustrate the complexity of your situation and the hope of your future. I love that you have hope in your future. There's a lot of hope as you talk in this podcast. And I love that. I love anything that love people finding hope in their future. You have a lot of hope. Um, talk about the church then. <laughs> uh, that was where it gets kind of messy. I, I, wow, it's even hard to say. I fully anticipate being excommunicated. I know that that's along my path. Actually, I don't, I don't know for sure. I, I hope it's not. Um, but right now there's not a place for people like me in the church to just continue in a healthy way. I hear it a lot though. I hear a lot of, I love you. I hear a lot of, there's a place for you. And I have to admit, every time I hear that, I just want to scream, where? You're giving us nothing. <laughs> and we talked about this. I Listeners, they um, Richard asked me beforehand if I'm ever angry at the church. And my answer, really without even hesitating, was like almost every day, I think. Not in a mindless, destructive way, just in a how can this not be better way. 
I do worry. I, one of the big reasons that I've chosen sort of the life path that I have is because I fully anticipate it being okay soon. And I don't say that in a, um, I don't know, a theoretical doctrine way. I just mean, look, look back at the last 20 years, how differently we treat gay people in the year 2021 than we did when I was born. It's shockingly different. And the trend is going to continue. Um, I would feel horrible and be so disappointed if I got 40 years down the road and suddenly something was okay that wasn't okay when I was 21 years old, begging God to tell me where he wanted me to be. Um, I love the church and I will only leave it after I've kind of fought to stay in it. I don't know how big my fight will be. I don't know how many punches I'll throw, but it's not going to be an easy, (laughs) it's not going to be an easy thing. Listeners, I'm comfortable hearing stories like Spencer. It's just complex. I think people need safe people to share how they feel. Um, people even in the church, I think it helps them to be able to process the complexities of life with people in the church. And I've learned to just sit with people in the complexities and just, if they have pain and they feel their path is a different path, I've just learned to just sit with them and honor that and support them and recognize the complexities that they face. Um, one father of a gay son Bryce Cook helped me understand. He said, it's my sons are in a double bind. They love the church. This isn't, it would almost be easier if they didn't love the church and they didn't see so much good here and hope and healing and wonderful doctrine and the lives of people in Madagascar that are better because of the church. And you've seen that firsthand, but they're in this double bind where they through personal revelation, they feel their path is to not be alone, to have a partner, to be in a responsible monogamous relationship. And that's the path to be their best self and to be able to do the things that they want to do or that God wants them to do in society. And that was really helpful for me, Spencer. I've never thought of what it's like to be in a double bind and actually, and so what do you do? You have, you can't live in that double bind forever. You're kind of living in it right now in some ways because you're at BYU. You're doing your best to be in the church. You were in the conference choir last night, sort of ironic. (laughs) But you feel your future at some point um, may lead you to having your membership withdrawn. And so I just, I hope that we find a better place for people like Spencer and his husband. I, you know, I don't know how to talk about this space, listeners. It's just so complex, but I do hope we're worse off that Spencer and his husband don't have a place here. And I recognize when you say we love you and we want you to feel welcome, we, it's hard for you to feel welcome. And you're wondering if you're, you know, I'm using, you're using the term excommunicated, which is correct. We slightly updated membership withdrawn. <laughs> so oh, I want to get into <laughs> good, point, good point. I don't want to get into semantics or feel like <laughs> you're not using correct terminology, but yeah, Spencer, if he marries a man, it's possible his membership will be withdrawn. And I hope we can, I've always felt the congregation, the the gate should be wide there. Everybody should feel welcome and needed and valued. There should be no belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome. And, and part of being welcome is being put to work in some way so that who you are is contributing to the body of Christ. So it's just complex and any thoughts on any of that? You okay with that or any of that triggering to you? 
No, all, all of it is so true. All of it is so, so true. Um, I don't, I don't have anything to say other than it stings. It stings. And one of the things when people get angry listeners is they often want to justify their path, um, at the expense of everybody else's path. And I hope you picked up Spencer. Didn't do that. Takes an incredible amount of grace to be where you are. You talked about mixed orientation marriages about 20 minutes later, and you didn't, you said those work for some people. Um, and I think you recognize that some celibate people are working, but I think what you're saying here, and I think it takes a lot of grace, is those a lot of paths that are working for a lot of people. But for me, this is the best path forward. And I'm not necessarily going to draw everybody to my path just to justify my path, but please just, you know, support me in my path and I'll support all of you in your paths. Is that okay to say that that way? Just invite me to Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just emotional listeners because Spencer's just a, you know, I don't, we're just not at the finish line of this space. And it's just so complex right now in the church. And there's so many good people being affected by this topic. And um, I like Patrick Mason's uh, Zion's Canyon and his podcast he did on Faith Matters with Tom Christopher's it was a terrific podcast. Maybe you've listened to it. I haven't yet. I'm a big fan of Tom's but, though. But, you know, Faith Matters, the hosts are Aubrey and... Um, Oh, Aubrey Chavez and forgot it, Tim Chavez and they had Patrick Mason and Tom Christofferson and they talked about Eller Holland's talk. Um, I was I love hearing LGBTQ people's take on things that are LGBTQ related in the church. That helps me understand how they feel versus just going to straight members and getting their take on things. It helps me to have a sensitive ear to how people are feeling but i love that podcast i do love what patrick mason framed up as just zion's canyon this is a difficult issue in our church right now and we're losing good people it's just the outcomes right now and the pain is not sustainable we have to figure out a way to bridge this canyon um and i don't know how to do that i'm not a leader in the church i don't know god's will but i just know we're not at the finish line in this canyon and spencer is in the middle of this canyon. <laughs> I mean, you're in the double bind. Um, I can sort of step out of the double bind if I wanted to as an ally, or member, many of us could. But you and your family, to some extent, because your parents love you and recognize the double bind you're in, it's just complex. I love the way you're... One of the things Bryce Cook taught me is he took the double bind off his sons. And that's really what your parents have done for you. And that's one of the things your roommates are doing for you. And we can all do for everybody is we can say, we love you. We'll walk with you. The family circle stays together. The friendship circle stays together. If you, that part of the double bind can end and we can just love everybody. And maybe that's why those great commandments are there is we love the Lord with all our heart, which you're doing. I wouldn't question your love to the Lord um, at all, Spencer, with, my feelings about you and your goodness and the way you're serving. And we love our fellow men as ourselves. And so we just follow that commandment and love you and, and continue to walk with you as you make your way forward in a very complex situation. The other thing, listeners, as I visited with Spencer ahead of time, is I'm noticing um, 
And this is kind of a general trend, so there's differences, but Spencer 21 is in a really good spot. Um, there's not much internalized homophobia or shame when I talk to Spencer and we met ahead of time. There's not a pretty broken, beat up, two decades of dealing with this sort of road. There is great sort of strength in Spencer about who he is. He owns who he is. He's out to people. Um, to me, that's an improvement in our society. It's an improvement in people like you. It's mm. it's a credit to you. It's a credit to the people around you. But I think if you learn not to hate yourself and accept this about yourself, then I think you can learn God loves you, which you've learned. And then you can get personal revelation because you believe God loves you and you're not a mistake. And this part about you shouldn't feel shameful. It's not shameful. So I think that's your voice is a really helpful voice for other people to own this part about them. And I think you give grace then to do whatever road you think is the best for you in this. Um, and that may be a different road for everybody. And that's part of our experience here in mortality. More thoughts, Spencer. You're so articulate. I want to keep you talking. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'll answer as many questions as you want. I do want to just say, and this feels pretty climactic. I'm not ending this per se, but the only reason that I, and this is just kind of piggybacking on what you said there. The only reason I am comfortable having this podcast, the only reason I'll be comfortable posting about this in a day or two is because of the people in my life that have made me feel that way. I don't think, I think that people totally underestimate the influence that they have on the happiness of an LGBT person in their life. It's, it's everything. It is everything. And I haven't had to spend much time in a space where I feel uncomfortable with it just because my loved ones around me didn't let it be that way. And I'm so grateful to them. And I haven't been perfect either. I, I haven't handled my coming out perfectly. I kind of like delegated some of that responsibility to, um, my, my parents. I haven't had personal conversations with everyone. I know I didn't handle it perfectly, but I just hope in turn that people that were maybe off put by that or that wonder why I wasn't okay with having a conversation with them are just able to, um, I don't know, for, forgive me <laughs> and be willing to have a conversation in the future. Um, like I said about my roommates, I love talking about it, but I also love what life is like when we don't have to. It's great. A lot of great skills for all of us to, to do better in this space and talk a little bit about being gay at BYU. That's sort of, <clears throat> I mean, if you're going to be LGBTQ, that's sort of the center of that if within our church right now is just most of the conversation is happening at BYU, I sense. A lot's happening in our local wards and stakes, but it's sort of more of this is being talked about at BYU. Yeah. Um, it's crazy right now. It is crazy. Again, like back to this crazy weekend thing. Thursday night, I look up and the Y is rainbow again. That is so cool. I know it's complicated. I know not everyone loves it, but if their only goal is to like help one Provo boy... <laughs> they succeeded. Um, it is. It's, it's a really hot topic, and it's because there is no shortage of gay people at BYU, which will come as a shock to some people and not as a shock to others. Um, I would guess probably at least 5%. I know that surveys have guessed higher or lower, but like if you're in a class at BYU, look around. You There are gay people there. 
if you're watching the replay video of conference last night, a lot of the people that are singing to you and bearing testimony of Christ are gay and going through this and the kind of people that would have loved to see the Y rainbow. Um, it is, it's really just, uh, it's in a sensitive place right now. There's a lot of change happening. I'm really, really, really hopeful. I'm also super aware and not oblivious at all to the complications of this. I know that I just admitted that I intend on marrying a man. And I know that I need an ecclesiastical endorsement this winter. You know, like I, I acknowledge the complications there, but I have, um, that's going to be bold to say, I have been um, really surprised to see just how much support there is. I think my first class ever that I walked into this semester, my rainbow or my rainbow, <laughs> my teacher was wearing a rainbow bracelet. It's little things like that. I don't even really identify with the rainbow that much. I don't think it'll ever be on my Instagram bio. I, <laughs> I don't even like it that much. It's just, it's just little, um, little things that make us feel better or just remind us, Hey, you, you have a spot here. I know it's complicated and I know you don't get to do everything you want to, but we at least want you here. That's huge. I like a really um, visible way of seeing it kind of like a microcosm almost is there have been um, tons of just supportive, like chalk um, around campus. Um, some of it says just like, Jesus loves you. Really simple, non-controversial things are being said. Um, in order to get to campus, I have to walk over the spot where a lot of this is done. And I walk home from choir or I'm in an acapella group. I walk home from acapella um, and walk over all of these supporting messages. And then I go to school the next morning and I find that all of it has been power washed every single day for the better part of three weeks, I think. I don't want to get into the the conversation about whether sidewalk chalk is legal or <laughs> I don't know. I know it's complicated, but that is just such a visible reminder and kind of a sobering one of just how big a deal this is. I don't know whether the chalk should have been there this morning from a, um, I don't know, campus perspective, but the fact that there's chalk needed in the first place is troubling. So it's nuance. I wouldn't be here if I didn't love it. It's nuance. It's cool. You're there. Um, listeners on the ecclesiastical endorsement, you know, my feeling is, <clears throat> You know, it's sort of talking to like future missionaries that are LGBTQ that are saying, I'm willing to go on a mission and and live the commandments and, and live the covenants, but I don't quite know how my future is going to work out. I hope we extend grace to people that are willing to sort of follow now and um, and not sort of ask them to reveal their whole future as part of, you know, where they are right now. None of us in some ways know our entire future. <laughs> There's no temple True. recommend questions that actually talk about your future. They really just talk about where you are right now. Mm. My point in pointing that out is I, I hope we create space for someone like Spencer and all our LGBTQ students at schools so that as they come up for these ecclesiastical endorsements, as long as they're following the rules of the current ecclesiastical endorsement in their current state, that they continue to be able to be at church-owned schools, even though they may feel their future at some point is different. That's just the way. So I, that's just the way I'd hope we'd handle that: is create space and grace and understanding, and recognize the complexities of somebody that's gay and wants to be in a congregation or wants to be at BYU. Let's do everything we can to help them feel like they're wanted, needed, and 
and show as much love and compassion, understanding as possible. So that's the way I kind of, I, I love you being honest, and that's just the way I'd process that. I'm not a church leader, a YSA bishop, but that's kind of the way I'd naturally process somebody if Spencer were in my ward. I'd want to do everything I can to help him feel like he's welcome here, even if he feels his future at some point is to marry a man. Any more thoughts that come to your mind, Spencer? Not very many other than just thanks so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. I do it, <laughs> in some ways I do it for other people, and in a lot of ways I do it for myself. So thank you for being there to help me do that. Well, Spencer Cottle, it's been a moving podcast. I'm sometimes more emotional than others, and I've been more emotional and tenderhearted this morning just listening to you. You represent the best of the best. You're a fine man understand the gospel, just remarkably talented in so many ways. And I'm talking to Spencer. I'm talking to a lot of you out there too. We need you and we need to do better. And you help us to become the body of Christ. I think of hearts knit together in one. And I think of um, that scripture in Mosiah. But to me, hearts knit together in one is all this different colors of yarn and types of yarn and different types of fabric and all that uniqueness that brings us together as hearts knit together in one. And the one is a desire to come unto Christ and help others come unto Christ. And to me, we need your version of the hearts knit together. We need you, whatever that represents, different color, different fabric, but who you are is needed and worthy and desirable. And I believe very confidently that this is how God created you, Spencer. Something didn't go wrong. You're not, he's not surprised that you're gay. Um, I think that puts you on the same moral footing as straight people. And you've learned that through your own personal revelation, which is an important key step that LGBTQ lighter saints need to make. So we could go forever, but <laughs> I'm going to let Spencer go. He's got to drive up north. And I think conference is starting here in our home on the Sunday morning. So listeners, anyway, this was a little more time-related podcast because we brought you into conference weekend and you're listening after conference. But I think it's appropriate, especially with Spencer singing in that choir on Saturday night. So this is Spencer Cottle and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>